Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Welcome to the Center for Spiritual Living. My name is Reverend Kathleen Miller. It's my honor to be one of your staff ministers, and it's wonderful that you're all here this morning. Do you feel like you've gone backwards in time with the snow? ah, It's a time warp. The Center for Spiritual Living is a spiritual community that blesses all teachings and all spiritual teachers. We know that there is no wrong way to worship, whether it be lighting a candle, facing the east, repeating a mantra, burning incense, lighting a menorah, or offering prayer. We know that we respect all the ways there are to draw closer to spirit, for even though there may seem to be great differences in the path, the destination is the same. Our vision is inspiring the recognition of spirit in all. And something wonderful is happening here, and we're delighted that you're here. If you're new to the center, if this is one of the first times that you're here, we invite you to visit the welcome table after service. There's a person there that can answer your questions about our spiritual community and about the teaching and to welcome you. One of the ways that we celebrate the wonderful things that are going on is in song. So I invite you to stand and join us in singing.
Good one, eh? Some of the wonderful things that are happening here. I'd like to remind everyone that the Mustard Seed Dinner is up and coming Thursday, April 30th. This is one of the ways that we do community outreach to the Edmonton inner city. We require store-bought baking that can be brought to the centre until noon that day, or it can be taken directly to the Mustard Seed Church. If you'd like to participate in this outreach, it's a wonderful opportunity for SIVA. Please sign up at the events table after service. The annual compost sale is coming up. I know we're all thinking and getting anxious to get out in our gardens and our yards. Yes, the team group is selling compost for your gardens and flower beds. They'll be at the Gold Bar Sobeys again this year, and that's on Saturday, May 9th. So please come out, get your compost, and support our teens. We're going to be doing a spring clean-up here. There's some information in your program. It's going to be Saturday, May 9th at 10 o'clock. And your help with the general cleaning inside and the yard clean-up would be greatly appreciated. We're going to be serving coffee and goodies. If you can participate in that, that would be just wonderful. Our annual summer conference is being held in San Diego this year, July 27th to 31st. It's the New Thought, New World Summer Conference. And this is for the International Centers for Spiritual Living. Keynote speakers will include Carolyn Miss and Byron Katie. If you register before May 1st, you can save $100. Information on this conference is available at the events table after service. We'd like to thank you all for your ongoing support of our dynamic and growing community. And just to keep reminding you that the 4 o'clock service, the featured speakers are our staff ministers. And they're listed in this pink insert in your program. We have some wonderful musical talent featured at that 4 o'clock service as well. So we look forward to seeing you there. Our guest soloist this morning. Not much of a guest, more of a fixture. (laughs) So this month celebrates... uh, Five years for me being music director at the center. Thank you. <laughs> and I just want to introduce this amazing team of people that I've had the absolute honor and privilege of working with, starting with Brown Anderson, who I've been working with for nine years at the center. I started coming September 2000. Brown Anderson. Yeah, we were in Danny Cody's band. That was good times. <laughs> Yeah, we used to play, I, I mean, I thought, what kind of a church is, how cool is this? We got to play Spooky and Sympathy for the Devil and the coolest songs. I mean, for me, coming from a really traditional background, I had, you know, come to some kind of heaven when I could come to a church and sing rock and roll. So that was really good memories. <laughs> and for how many years now have you been? Four years. Sue Hodge has been working with me and the music team. And uh, an exciting newcomer, Jordan Kravitz on guitar. Cash Webster. And uh, you've been here how long? Well, I think in 2001 I started a band, and Cash was in my original band, and so you've probably been there since 2001, yeah. Cash Webster. And Cash's son, who just watched this kid because... 
he is going somewhere with his drumming. I, just an extraordinary drummer, an absolute joy to work with, Jonathan Webster. So I've uh, got some exciting things happening in my life. My whole life, all I really wanted to do was be a mother, have a big family, and sing. My, my two biggest passions. So I uh, had five kids. And, uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Some of you are starting to question my sanity right now. I've just created that little seed of doubt, I think. And uh, through my children, um, uh, my children's father died six years ago, and his sister has helped me with uh, having two of my children live with her. And she has five children, so they've become like family to me. And then my son married into a family with this incredible bond and connection, and they have four kids. And uh, so now I figure with, with my partner and his kids and my in-laws and the hangers-on, my son's girlfriend, all of these, I figure I have now, I think, 18 kids in my life at last count. So, you know, I'm really, I'm really happy I've done the mother thing, and I'm not done. And I mean, I'm done. <laughs> Just to stop that rumor. <laughs> but I'm absolutely thrilled about the future of more children coming in through grandchildren and, and such. So I just want to tell you about a couple of music projects I've got going on now that I've, I you know, really feel like I've embraced the mother thing and ready at a time in my life to do more music. A couple of months ago, I, I sang a song that I'd written here, and after the service, someone came up and offered me enough money to record some songs. So I've been in the studio, and what an exciting, intense uh, process that has been. So I've recorded some songs that are all originals that I'm really, really proud of. They'll be available soon, and uh, you can go to my website and check them out, robinwalters.com. And uh, I'm singing with Jay Willis tonight and Anna Beaumont in a concert Jay's doing at Yardbird. That's just an amazing show. That's at 8. And Anna Beaumont and I are doing voice workshops. We're going to do four, a series of four, and they're starting May 30th. And you can come talk to me after the service about that. And I just always appreciate people finding me music that I might not have found. I did not watch Obama's inauguration, but someone else did and found this amazing song that I want to sing for you, if you're out there. If you hear this message, wherever you stand, I'm calling every woman calling every man we're the generation that can't afford to wait tomorrow started yesterday and we're already late we were looking for a song to sing search for a melody search for someone to lead we've been looking for the world to change if you feel to war unless it's love and peace that 
Robin Walters, thank you. Hmm. Got the papers all mixed up here somehow. <laughs> Each week we have a practitioner team in service. And they hold the consciousness and they are available for affirmative prayer after service in the room just out this door. They do the meditations prior to service. And they will answer the affirmative prayers and know for you any of the requests that you put forth from the Opportunity for You card in the program if you place that in the basket. The practitioners in service this week are Reverend Catherine Cardinal, Sandra Gibbs, 
Vita Crawford, and Audrey Mae Caldwell. I'll invite Catherine Cardinal, Reverend Catherine Cardinal, to do our reading this morning. Good morning. The reading this morning is a story from the Sufi Book of Life, 99 Pathways of the Heart, by Neil Douglas Klotz. And the story is called Bathing in Unity. Here's a famous story of Mullah Nasruddin, but I've heard many people leave out the ending. As with all of these stories, you can consider everything and everyone in it as part of your inner self. Once upon a time, Mullah was invited to speak at the mosque in a particular village at Friday community prayers. This is normally the only time when there might be a sermon or a talk, since everyone would be gathered. The village that invited Mullah was widely known as the largest collection of foolish people in the region. They sent a delegation to Mullah. O Mullah, wisest of the wise, we know that we're not worthy, but please come and give the sermon at our community prayers. Give us a chance. Mullah agreed and went there the next Friday. He walked to the the front of the mosque after prayers and said, Does anyone know what I'm going to tell you? No one dared answer for fear of being proved foolish. Then, said Mullah, you're all too foolish to tell. And he walked out. The next day, the town again sent a delegation to Mullah, begging and pleading, We'll try to do better, Mullah. Please come again. The next Friday, the same thing happened. Mula walked to the front of the mosque after prayers and asked, Does anyone know what I'm about to tell you? This time, as if choreographed, everyone responded at once, Yes, we know. Then there's no point in telling you, said Mula, and he walked out again. As you might guess, another day, another delegation, more bowing and scraping. Just one more chance, Mula, we promise. Again, the following week, the same scene, the same question. This time, half the crowd yelled, Some of us know, and the other half responded, And some of us don't. So, said Mullah, Let those who know tell those who don't. And he walked out a third time. Now, I've heard it many years later. Mullah happened to be traveling again near the town of foolish people, and he noticed that it happened to be Friday, around noon. I think I'll go and see how they're getting on, he said to himself. As he entered the mosque, prayers were over, but it looked as if everyone was waiting for something. He muttered to himself, oh, why not, and walked to the front. Does anyone know what I'm about to tell you, he asked. At this point, everyone in the mosque stood up and walked out leaving Mullah standing alone. This story mirrors one of the journey of our inner self. As we begin the spiritual path, we're in denial that we even have a voice of guidance within us. We're waiting for someone outside of us to illuminate us. Then we swing to the other extreme and think we know everything. When our inner life finally wakes up, the part of us that knows is able to speak to the part of us that doesn't know. Mula's third solution. Our higher guidance is able to speak to our nafs, 
the various voices of the inner self that gather together and can work as one. Once this happens, it's just a matter of staying on the path and allowing our hearts to continue to grow. At the end, when Mula returns, he finds that the answer to his question is absence. The small self, beyond affirmation and denial, has merged with the self of the beloved. So when Reverend Patrick asks the question today, I hope you don't actually leave. (laughs) Our speaker this morning has had a bit of unexpected prosperity last night in the form of royalties from one of the movies he starred in, The Goonies. And that might be something you didn't know about our, our speaker and our senior minister. It was one of his acting credits. Please help me welcome back from Hawaii, Reverend Patrick Cameron. Does anyone know what I'm going to talk about today? All right. Well, welcome. It is nice to be back <clears throat> and, and cool down a little bit. It's a little too hot in Hawaii for me. So it's nice that it's snowing again. <laughs> Let's celebrate what is. All right. So I'm going to invite you, if you'd like to, uh, stand and sing a song with me and, and uh, say a prayer. That would be a lovely thing. If you'd like to stay seated, please feel comfortable doing that as well. Everything here is optional. You get to choose. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power. To walk through our every fear For spirit One spirit Is in this very room In this very room In this very room So I invite you to know with me this day. This is the moment. This is the eternal moment. And as we stand together in this moment, let us stand collectively in the understanding and the knowing and the welcoming of the idea that there is a power for good in the universe that we can direct and that also directs us. And so may we live in that dance with the beauty, the elasticity, and the grace, and the elegance of understanding our part to play in the dance. We set our intention. We decide how we show up in the world. Let us know that we are here for a divine purpose. And that divine purpose we find everywhere we look, in every direction, in every interaction, if we choose to do so. And so I bless this day. I bless our music. I bless our volunteers. I bless the teachers whose shoulders we stand upon, the traditions that have come down through the ages that allow us to stand in freedom and clarity and grace and ease and express what we know to be true about ourselves, our longing to stand in union, to heal any sense of separation in any area of our lives, to call forth the bigger idea. I call it forth now for myself, and I invite you to be open and receptive to that idea. Whatever comes forth for you in this moment, 
for each moment hereafter we know is divinely blessed and guided in every way, shape, and form. For this I give thanks. I release these words in gratitude, knowing the universe knows far greater and with greater clarity the highest and best for myself, for others, for this planet. I surrender to that as well as know that my part to play is made clear. I choose wisely, productively, actively, and dynamically, moving forward with the expectancy of great good because I am a magnet for great good in my life as you are. With that said, I invite you to say it with me, and so it is. Beautiful. Thank you. Please be seated. So we have, uh, we have returned from Hawaii. It was great being there. First time for me, and Laura had been there about 30 years ago with her family. And I'm going to share a little bit of uh, that story with you today. Have been working from a book, a couple of Rumi books. Rumi was a Sufi poet. Talked about him a couple weeks back. Last Sunday I was here with you. It was Easter Sunday, so we had a... Uh, we had an event with the Mamesa Choir, actually at the 4 o'clock service, if many people were here. We had, we had over 700 people for Easter, which was amazing. And that choir is, is remarkable. We had them here Friday night, and they just, uh, the, the place was electric by the time, the time we all left. <clears throat> and one of the things we did at the 4 o'clock service is I brought them up, and I asked them what their dreams were. And we had those balloons. I brought a bouquet of balloons out if you weren't here, and we popped balloons because we wanted to let the air out of anything that blocks that experience, anything that gets in the way of the idea of a greater good in our lives. And so it was quite moving and touching for them. I brought them up and had them each tell their stories. It was quite compelling and and, and so touching. And, and um, And it was so important, as they shared with us later, how important it was for them to worship on Easter. So uh, quite a wonderful opportunity to, to support others in, that, in their spiritual journey. Whatever their vocabulary is, whatever their core system of theology is, to be able to embrace and welcome that and celebrate that. It was quite lovely and touching. So we've been working with Rumi. And there's a poem that Rumi talks about uh, in this book by Will Johnson called The Spiritual Practices of Rumi. It's a wonderful book. I, I finished this up on the way to Hawaii and started the book of the month for next week on the way back. And uh, some powerful things that are, are sort of coming into my experience, and I want to share some of those with you today. Part of the practice that's in this book that I <clears throat> have mentioned a few times is this idea of sobet. And the Sufi tradition of sobet is that, that it's, it's a gazing, that it's simply sitting quietly with another. And Laura and I have started this practice. And we'll do it for five minutes. Sometimes we'll do it longer. We're working our way up because it's an interesting practice. But sobet is simply gazing into one another's eyes. And there's stages throughout it that, that sort of unfold as we do this. So there's no, no conversation. It's just this deep, nonverbal gazing into one another's eyes. Now, Rumi discovered this with his friend Shams. And then at once Shams disappeared, there were other people that uh, emerged in his experience. But the gazing is quite a, a beautiful, beautiful spiritual practice. It requires a partner. And the first stage, to talk about the first stage in this, the first stage is that it's, un, it's unaccustomed for us to look into one another's eyes. I mean, when I was in the airport watching people traveling, you don't gaze into people's eyes. If you do, they, they look away right away, or they'll, they'll call security, or they'll do whatever's appropriate. So we know that. We're not used to looking in, in one another's eyes. In many cultures, it's considered an insult. I believe there's, there's some cultures I've heard stories, it's, it's not appropriate, it's not protocol. So the gazing is, and one of the first stages, there's a longing. There's a longing to be connected to life in a bigger way. And I think we all share that. Being in Hawaii, there's just an inherent spirituality there. It's very interesting. They have the whole spiritual tradition. They're native people. They're, they're hunas, they're shamans, they're, they're medicine men. And there's stories throughout their culture. As you read through their literature, you, you, you see these amazing stories of these uh, encounters people have with these healers. 
But it's really about consciousness. It's really about awareness. And so we share that with everyone. We realize that, that we're all the healer. And it's opening to that experience. But the first stage is being called to that, being called to that experience. So I think that we, well, one of the things we share collectively in this, especially in this community, is that we're, we're listed, we've answered a call. There's something we realize there's more to life than just simply this. And it's important to, to be aware of that. I entitled today's lesson, Laughter, because one of the experiences in the gazing is, and then Laura and I have experiences, that many times you break out into a smile. There's a laughter. It's joyful because after a while there's a certain connection and, and it's this, this joyful resonance because you move from stage one, which is complete separation, and it's kind of odd. You're gazing. It's like, you know, Laura read the book before I did. She says, come on, let's try this thing. And we sit down and she's looking at me. I said, what? 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 And she said, no, no, this is it. I said, you're kidding. All right. So here we are. But so it's working through that stage one and all of a sudden what happens is that those, those walls start to melt and then you move into stage two, which is union. And union whether we be with another or with ourselves, because spiritual mind treatment, the second step is, the first step is recognition, the step is unification. There's one power for good, one life, that life is mine. It's the same practice, it's just we do it individually. We don't, we're, but typically we're in partnership if we're doing prayer work. I find prayer work with another much more powerful than prayer work on my own. Because there's, as, as it says in sacred texts, where two or more are gathered, there's a presence so anyway, Rumi has this to say about this. This leads up into this. So first stage is the, the call. The second is moving into union. And then the third stage. And I think it's important to talk about the third stage because a lot of times we don't talk about third stage. And third stage is where it gets really interesting. Rumi said this, This being human is a guest house. Every morning a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness. Ever woken up mean? I have. Some... Momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Whatever shows up, welcome it. It's there for us. You've heard me say that a few times. Even if there, there's a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. They may be clearing you out for some new delight. This is the way it works. You have to create space for the new experience. And many times, most of the time, it's uncomfortable. And so when we have the awareness to stay grounded in that, in our spiritual practice, see, it's not just about feeling good all the time, although that is part of the journey. What I find for myself, it's very fluid for me. I can, I can feel completely separate. I can feel isolated. There are times when I feel totally disconnected from everything, including myself. And there are times when I feel so immersed. I had this moment, we were at the uh, Wakalo of Hilton for one night. It was amazing. Just the most luxurious hotel we've ever stayed in in our lives. And we were having this beautiful dinner looking over the Pacific and the sunsets going down and this incredible meal and this incredible waiter. It was just, you know, it was, it was heavenly. And this wave of, of sadness came over me. And I thought, you know, I wish everyone that I loved or have ever loved in my life could be here experiencing this with me. And when I realized that, you know, oh, that's a, what a sweet man to think that. But what I realized is that's a story that I tell myself. And in that story, I, I move out of present moment. Because it has nothing to do with what's going on there, but that's alive for me. And I realize, you know what? I can run with this story because there have been times in my life I could, I could have made that whole evening about depression now because those that I love couldn't be there. And what I realized, I need to put this story down now <laughs> and enjoy what's going on here. That's, that's the value I can bring to the world. But you see, I'm sharing with you, sometimes we go to sleep even in the joy. You know, this maudlin sense of, oh my gosh, I wish my dad were here. I started thinking about my dad. The only time my dad ever saw Hawaii, he was on a transport going over to Okinawa to fight the war. So, oh my gosh, waves of sadness. What is this? This has nothing to do with this moment. 
And so I don't know if we ever grow beyond that. I don't think that we ever empty our minds out of those ideas and those, those opportunities. But to run with it takes us into a spin with a story that I don't think is productive. It's not healthy. At least for me, it's not healthy. But those memories are still alive. And so when the memories show up, to have the awareness, because this, this wave of sorrow and sadness, and what is this? Look at this. And so what I did is I pulled it close. I said, oh, okay, have the full experience because this is my practice that I'm in right now. Pull it close, pull it close. Feel all of it, embody all of it. Every cell of my body was full of sorrow and sadness. And Laura was looking off into the sunset having her own story. I didn't even tell her about it. She doesn't even know I was doing this because it was none of her business. I was in my own fantasy, having a great time. (laughs) All right? None of your business, honey. I didn't even need to share this with you. And so I'm wiping the tears away. And I realized "This this is part of the insanity of my story. But so what happens is we can go to sleep in the sorrow, we can go to sleep in the joy. And, and, and those are great, they're two ends of the same pole, but I want to stay awake as much as I can, I want to be right in the center. But those memories are still there for me. And so they're the springboards, that's the fuel that fuels the spiritual practice. And I'm finally getting that with greater consistency. And so what I do when I pull it close, what I do when I pull it close now is I realize I'm hanging on. I'm hanging on. You ever hung on to anything? You got anything in life you hang on to? Like relationships? or ideas, or people, or money. Anybody hang on to money? I mean, we, do, we, we hang on to a lot of stuff. But what, what I do is I, I need to ask myself the question. There's three questions I'm asking myself right now, and I work with this. It's a simple spiritual practice, but I need simple, because I'm not a complicated guy at all. You may have noticed that. But the first question I ask is, can I let go? will I let go of this? Or can I let go of this? Can I let go? Question number one, can I let go? And when I'm in the full experience of it, I've got to have the full experience. I've got to own it in every part of my body. Can I let go of this? And I wait until I can say yes. And then will I let go? And that's another journey for me. And, sometimes, and I'll say yes, and sometimes I say yes too soon. But then I'll stay with it some more. Can you really let, will you let go? Yes. And then the question is when. Can I, will I, and when? And when for me is now. But what I'm learning with the practice is until I own all of it, until it's just so much a part of me, and I know it's there, and then I'm convinced that this is the moment, then I can say now. But I have got to feel it in my heart. I've got to own every bit of it in my body. Because what happens otherwise is I can treat it away. I can do affirmative prayer and have it go away. But it's still alive for me. And when these memories came up, when these memories, and so I'm, the practice I'm in, whatever, the, whatever there is that I need to clear away, make it clear and obvious. So I go to Hawaii and you empty out. There's not, I mean, it's just empty out. If I'd been there two more weeks, I would have forgotten how to speak the English language, believe me. Because it's just, it's a whole different energy. Do, 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 do. I mean, it is a whole different energy. And it's a beautiful thing. I got back on the plane and I tried to talk to the stewardess. I couldn't speak. She said, were you trying to say something? I said, Yes, I am, but forget it. And she said, no, 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 tell me. And, and so I, I told her. Yeah, it wasn't that exciting, so don't worry about it. But the point being is I think it's so important for us to have this conversation. It's, a, it's about the somatic nature of our body. Next month, we're going to get into next week, we're going to start a book called The, the, the Trance of Scarcity. It's a powerful book. Victoria Castle wrote it. She just spoke in Red Deer. I understand some of our ministers went. Powerful, powerful stuff. Because, and, and Rick Moss was here, and, and see, Rick works at that vibrational level as well. He, he works at that, there's, a, there's a, a vibration of it, that when we own it, all of a sudden things start moving and shifting in ways. But see, we think it's about affirming it away. It's not about affirming it away, it's about owning it and being in it. Say, what's true about this? What's this sorrow about people not being here with you? That's just, that's madness. But how many times have I run with the story? 
And then I go to sleep in the sorrow, or I go to sleep in the joy. It's the same, you know, I can go to sleep anywhere. It's amazing. Laura gets mad at me. We get on the plane, I'm asleep. Because she, she likes the excitement for her is the, the takeoff and the landing. She likes to white-knuckle it and, and be uncomfortable. I like to sleep. And she wants me to share the white-knuckling. And I want her to share the sleep. So we're still working on that one. But it's, it's, it's what makes life interesting. So I, wanted, I want to share a, a, a short clip with you that I think is a wonderful demonstration of where most of us, that I've lived most of my life, uh, Mark? It's called chimpan- ch- chimpan- hmm? Chimpanzee Riding on a Segway. So, I have been chimpanzee riding on a Segway most of my life. Do you notice that when he's going along, he's got his helmet on, and he's not even looking where he's going? Have you done that? And there's a, there's a section in here where he actually is going right into the jungle. They cut it out pretty quick. He can actually go on uh, YouTube, and it's a four-minute segment, and it shows a lot more. And so as the, he's about ready to go into the jungle full speed. He jumps off. How many times have I done that, going full speed in the direction I don't want to go, and I jump off, and the vehicle just keeps going? All of those, it's such a great example of how we can live our lives. We, we're going full bore in a certain direction, but we're not even looking. We're not even awake to it. We're looking back. We got our helmet on. We got the right duds on, but we're just not even looking. We're not paying attention. Chimpanzee riding on a Segway. That's been the majority of my life. And I don't want to be the chimpanzee riding on the Segway anymore. I want to be present. So when, I, when I'm distracted, when I'm doing things in distraction, I just know that it takes me out of the beauty of the present moment. And that's what the gazing does. It brings us into the present moment. So we're in Hawaii, and a friend says to me now, you should, when you go to Hawaii, you need to rent a convertible. And I thought, great, great idea. So we don't know where we're going. I set this, I, and I plan the trip, just like chimpanzee riding on the Segway. <laughs> I email a friend who's got a place in Hilo, and he says, yeah, I come anytime. So I think I'm emailing him back. We'll be there April 15th, looking forward to it. A week before we leave, I get an email from him because I left him a phone message. He said, I don't even know what you're talking about, man. This place is rented now. I don't have space for you. So I'm thinking, oh, shoot. Here I am, chimpanzee, riding on a Segway. And so um, I get on the Internet. I talk to a few people within the community that have actually lived in Hawaii. And they said, oh, you know what? We're going to fly to Hilo. Our tickets were for Hilo. And they said, you want to go to Kona, which is on the other side of the big island. And so I get online. I'm trying to change tickets. Turns out that it's $800 to change the tickets. I'm like, oh, man, this is not going to happen. So rent a car in Hilo, and we'll drive to Kona, which is about two and a half, three hours. So we fly into Hilo, and Hilo, it rains in Hilo 397 days a year. It is lush and green and wet everywhere. And we get in the car, and we, and we rent a convertible. Well, I didn't put the top down, though. Okay, I left it up. We get over to Kona, and the first day we're going to go play golf, because Laura and I love to golf. And <clears throat> so it's a, it's a Chrysler product, and God bless Chrysler. But we, we go to put the top up, and what happens when you, put the t- you go to put the top up, you push a button, and the trunk opens towards the driver, okay? So it lifts like this, and then there's another piece that juts out, and then the top rolls in, and then the thing juts back down, and then it closes. 
So we're going to go golfing, and I said, let's put the top down. So I push the button, and the thing retracts into the trunk, and the thing is extended up in the air about eight feet with everything, the, the trunk and the, the shield that slides back down and closes, and it won't move. So it's stuck in the air about seven, eight feet above the car. And so I said to Laura, get in and push the button. And she's pushing the button, and I'm cranking on it like this and, and wiggling it really good. And I'm wiggling it pretty hard now because I figure that's going to fix it. And then I realized, I looked at her and I said, you know, uh, she said, no, you need to unlatch the trunk because the trunk is latched now, and it's open backwards, basically. Well, let me tell you something. Don't ever open the trunk <laughs> when the thing is fully extended because then it's like a teeter-totter just going up and down, and it's all over. And So anyway, I said, well, and it took us about 15 minutes to get the thing shut again because it was a lethal weapon flying around. So I called the rental company, and I said, hey, what's up? I can't get the thing down. And they said, oh, well, where are you? I rented the car in Hilo. Now I'm in Kona. It's going to take two, three hours for us to get to you. The guy can come and fix it. I said, oh, I'm teeing off in less than an hour here. I've got to get going. I've got places to be. So there's a guy there in the complex where we rented a place to stay because I went online when, I, when the, that went sideways, and we found a condo right on the beach. It was quite neat and, and, and quite inexpensive. We were quite surprised. Uh, but anyway, so there's a guy there, and he's got the same car rented. And I said, do you, know, do you know how to fix this? And so he comes over, and he starts shaking it, just like me. And he says, yeah, you know, if you have a 916 socket wrench, you could just take the bolts out and throw it in the, in the grass. I said, "Nah, <laughs> I don't think so. But I said, if you've got a sharp hacksaw, I'm ready to cut the thing off. So we get on, we have this GPS system. If you don't have a GPS system, you've got to travel with one. They're amazing. So I find the dollar rent a car at the Kona Airport. So now the thing's up in the air, eight feet, and I said, let's go get some help. So we're driving, we're on one end of Kona, and we're driving down the one road along the ocean where everybody's out walking along with this thing up in the air. And people are looking at us like, like we don't know it's up, right? <laughs> hey, 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 hey. And we're smiling and waving, yeah, 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 we know. Stopping in intersection, and the swine guy says, Hey, bro, you know that? I said, Yeah, yeah, it's, we're testing this vehicle with a spoiler for gas mileage for Chrysler. <laughs> so we get to the airport, and we pull in, and, the, and the, the two guys are there working, and they're like looking at it. And I said, What do you know? And he says, I don't know. And they walk over and they shake it, because that's what guys do, they shake it. And the guy says, We'll get Johnny. Johnny can fix anything. So Johnny comes out. And Johnny shakes it. And he says, you know, if you have a 916 socket, I said, yeah, I know, we've already been all through that. So anyway, long story short, we just said, can we have another car? And they gave us another car. We were on our way. We made it. But a couple things that play themselves out there. Number one, how men think, because everybody wanted to take the bolts out and just throw it into the grass. But the point being is when those things show up in our lives, how do we respond to them? And so Laura and I went, we got, and we got the new car. We threw everything in there, and we took off. We made it to where we were going, no problems. And we were done with it. We were, we were done with that story. That story was over with. We went, we went uh, a few days later, we went and studied, and I'm gonna, there's a whole series of talks around this, but we went and studied, uh, took a golf lesson, two-and-a-half-hour lesson with a guy named Darren Gee. And Darren's an amazing young man from uh, California, went to UCLA, and Laura and he had that in common. She's a UCLA graduate. Amazing guy, and it's a seven, it's called the Spirit of Golf, and it was incredible. And one of the seven lessons in it is that once the shot is done, the shot is done. 
Once that shot's over with, the shot's over with. You got the next shot. That's the great teacher of, of golf. When it, with golf, there's never the same shot ever again. And the thing that keeps me coming back is I'll hit that one or two really great shots each round. And I think, why can't I do that each time? And so Darren went through this whole process, these seven steps. The first step was just to ground yourself, find your center. The first step, the balance, to find the balance. And so we spent about 15, 20 minutes working on balance. And I thought, isn't this interesting? Spiritual practice, spiritual practice. Golf is spiritual practice. But one of the steps farther down the road, which I won't get into today, is that once the shot is done, the shot is done. And so once we got the, the vehicle replaced, I had no charge about what had happened, the frustration of it. Because it was, at, at a point in time, there was a certain uh, chimpanzee riding on a Segway going on for me. You know, what do we do? What do we do? I'm looking around. Oh, my gosh. This is kind of an emergency. We've got to fix this. And then I thought, well, what the heck? I'll just drive to the airport. And I've got to tell you, it is very distracting to have one eye through the windshield and one in the rearview mirror waiting for that spoiler that's up in the air to blow off and hit somebody. But we made it. And fortunately, 45 miles an hour is the speed limit on the Big Island. So everybody takes their time. That's why it takes three hours to drive from Hilo to, to Kona. But for all of us, we, we, we fall into those, those um, situations. They show up in our lives. And the, the, I think that it's so important for us in spiritual practice to understand that all of that there is, is there to inform us, to instruct us. And as I look at my life, I realize I'm probably never going to stop making the stories up. But what I can do, and we'll move into that in the, over the next several weeks, is I can reframe the story in a way. So when, when this thing was going on, about halfway through it, I thought, you know what, this might be a great story for a Sunday talk. How I can't get the top down. It's, I mean, it was just stuck in the air. It's probably still stuck in the air for all I know. But all of a sudden, it, was an, it, was, it became an opportunity for observation rather than a frustration. And I thought, you know what? I, I, we'll get there. We went and played on these golf courses, amazing golf courses, and nobody was on them. We went on a, a snorkel cruise that takes 125 people. There were nine of us on the cruise. They, had these, they, took, they, they moored the boat, and there's two young Hawaiian kids, the brothers, Ian and Darren. And they're just, you know, these two handsome young men with these great big shoulders and chest, these little tiny little waist, probably, you know, a 20-inch waist. And they're in their bathing suits, and they're getting everybody geared up. And, and uh, so we're, 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 we're moored off this reef. And they said, whatever you do, swim on this side of the boat towards the reef. And don't go past maybe 15 feet on the ends of this pretty big boat. And so I went out, and I, I get motion sickness like that. I got, I got seasick snorkeling. It was so rough. I'm like... I can't do this. It was just, oh, up and down where we were. Anyway, I got on the boat, and I'm sitting there and talking to the guys, and they give you this noodle that supports you. You swim around with a noodle and your snorkel mask and your, your swim fins, and, and it, was, it was surreal. But anyway, so, so um, Ian says to me, one of the young Hawaiian guys says, man, he says, I hate it when those people, the tourists, lose the noodle, and it floats out on the other side of the boat. And I said, really? I said, well, what happens? He says, well, i got to go after it. And I said, well, what's the problem with that? You look like you're in pretty good shape. He goes, there's big fish out there. <laughs> and I'm thinking they're gonna, the story's going to be, don't worry about it. It's okay. No sharks, nothing big. No, these guys that live there all the time are telling me there's big fish out there. So I thought, wow. Okay, so I guess I'm not going back in the water. <laughs> I guess I'm staying on the boat. But... <laughs> Isn't, isn't life fascinating? I mean, isn't life great, the stories and the opportunities that show up for us? If we realize that all of it is just there, that everything we need to move through whatever is going on in our lives is available. 
So we go from stage one, we're longing to connect. We go to stage two, where all of a sudden we start to have these great experiences. We start living in the joy. We start living in the, in the grace and the beauty of what's available. We've put down, now we've moved out of separation into union. And so Rumi knew about this. Rumi describes it quite beautifully. He talks about it in that poem. And he also said this about stage three. The third stage may come on very quickly and unexpectedly. You may be sitting with your friend, feeling the energies of your bodies merging and intermingling. A wash in a sense of intimate wonder and love, and then everything changes in the blink of an eye. And for no apparent reason, you begin to feel extremely insecure and unlovable. Desperate for attention and affection. Free falling into despair. Terrified of the austere figure sitting across from you. Or perhaps your body, body is shimmering with a glow and comfort that you never before experienced. When suddenly the feeling starts growing larger and larger until it's too large for its container. And this is the, the, the Sufis are very big on this. They're very big on the, the, the dissolving of the small self to move into the big self. And I think it's important to understand as we do this spiritual practice that what's seeking expression through us sometimes has to sweep out the furniture of our being so that that bigger expression can come forward. He uses the example in this book of floating down the river and all of a sudden you come around the curve and there's a wall of flame before you. And it's so high you can't jump over it. It's, and it's, it reaches so deep you can't swim under it. And it's so wide you can't go around it. But there's a small opening in the middle. And you have to decide whether you're going to steer your boat to the shore and stop say, I can't do this. Or you're going to find that opening in the middle. And that, I think, is, is an important thing to, to, to talk about. Because my great teachers, the great teachers in my life have told me the truth. And for many of us, this journey... This journey, you've heard me say it once, I'll say it again, get comfortable being uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable at times. Life wants something greater for us, and for us to have the greater experience, we have to be willing to, to navigate towards that small opening in the middle of that wall of flame and have the courage and the clarity and the commitment to, to flow through that. And as things change and move, and my whole, my whole journey, there were stories that came up for me in Hawaii that I thought were dead long ago. But in the emptying out process, it was, just a, it was a very interesting experience because it wasn't really a retreat. But Laura and I read a lot, and then we, we found, you know, we, we walked a lot as well. We were close to downtown. It was a great location. And we'd walk to the restaurants. We'd go walk down and get this amazing coffee every morning. And so, um, but it, there's an emptying out. And in the emptying out, all of a sudden, things that were alive, because part of my prayer, part of my declaration each day is that that which no longer serves me, make it clear. And so what, I'll, what I'm doing now is, is, you know, I, is allowing myself the full experience of it and to embody it and to know it and to own it. And it may be more than once. It may be more than once. Can I? Yes. And will I? Yes. And when? And it may be now, but if it's still alive, it comes back. And so I work with it again and I work with it again and I work with it again. And that's spiritual practice. So the stories that we make up about things, the stories about the sadness that I felt about my, the, my loved ones not being there, that was very alive for me. I thought, what is that? What is that attachment? And a lot of it is this idea that, that uh, as a kid, you don't deserve to, to enjoy things. There was a sense of the purpose of life for, for my mother was is that you offer up your suffering for others. That the, the noble thing to do is to suffer for others. And so what I know about that, for that story, that's what drives that story for me. Is it a bad story? No, it's just a story. And so I get to embrace it. I get to see my mom and thank her and say, Mom, thanks so much for the story because it created a, a place for compassion in my life. But sometimes compassion becomes enabling. Sometimes compassion is not healthy for anyone. And so what, to what extreme do we carry compassion or empathy or those kind of things? Because it's just not healthy. My father had his own experience at the level of consciousness he was at. You know, he, he, did, he did things his way. 
and we celebrate that life. We have to celebrate all the lives, the beauty. See, when we start to look, see, relationship, I think relationship is far more than having children, coming together and, and procreating and, and finding jobs and having homes and cars and going on great vacations. All that stuff is great. It's part of the, it's part of the joy of life. It's part of the opportunity. It's the relationships we get into. But I think at the end of the day, the reason that we come to relationship, at least this is the truth for me today, but I believe it's true for most of us, the reason that we're in relationship is to bring, help support one another and ourselves into union, to heal all the separation, and to understand that we are the beloved, that there is only one life, and that life is our life. And we bring a beauty to it. We bring a, a, a tapestry of, of, of life and of possibility and creativity to it like never before. And, and so when we look at those stories, the stories aren't right or wrong, good or bad. They're just stories. And is the story that I'm embodying moving me closer to what I feel called to be? So that as Gandhi said, that my life is my message. That we must be the change that we seek to experience in the world. I was so proud of Obama last week when he said, you know, we have these relationships. He's actually starting to talk to Cuba now, which has got some interesting things happening. But when Obama says, you know, if we're only in relationship because over military or drug intervention, what kind of relationship is that? If the only time that I talk to you is when you're screwing up or you're falling down and I've got no other relationship with you, it's not much of a relationship. You know, some of us have been in marriages like that. Or are in marriages like that. And, and, and it's not right or wrong, good or bad. It's just a very small idea. It's a very small experience. So how much love can you get away with? How much love can you handle? How much good can you handle in your life? If you, know that, if you start to work, work these principles and work these ideas, and it's, it's work. It's, it's day to day, in and out. For me, it's waves and waves and waves of, well, there I go, running with another story. There I go, running with another not good enough, not smart enough. You know, there are times when I go home after this experience. There have been in the past. I used to be physically sick. I used to be ill from the energetics of the whole thing and, and, and trying to make it fit. And some, the, the consciousness was growing and stretching. But the, I would become physically ill. I'd have to go home and lay down. We were doing one service a Sunday. It was a good thing I couldn't have done two. But you grow into it. All of a sudden you realize, because there's that story that goes on for all of us sometimes, like I hope nobody finds out the truth about who and what I am. Because I'm always teaching and I'm always preaching what's, what's alive for me, what's current for me. And I think that's what connects with you. And you connect with me because we're called in this conversation. So it's quite a beautiful thing. And once you realize and accept it and say, hey, this is it. This is current reality. This is where I am. Tell the truth. But I think there are ways to do this. So number one, can I, can I let go of this? It doesn't mean I'm going to forget but for me, I hang on to the stories. That bastard car tap wouldn't go down, a son of a... Damn, you know, that kind of thing. I grab onto the story, and I'm going to choke it to death. And I think I got it dead. It comes back up again, and I got to go choke it again. Can I let go of it? Will I? And when? And I think it's very powerful practice. It's taken me a long time to get to the awareness and the point when I realized, there, goes, there I go with another story. Man, oh, man. Look at that one. Holy cow, that one's still alive. So I share that with you because I think it's, it's, it's common for us. We're made up of the sum total of our stories, and we own them in our body. And that's why it's important to do that work. That's why it's important to own it. Say, you know what, this is, this is alive for me right now. It's not the truth of my being, but this is what's true. And it may be great, it may be great joy. Because I'll go to sleep on either end of the pole, joy or sorrow. 
And so when I catch myself falling asleep or fantasizing, I'll fantasize way out here or way out here. I'll make up a story. I want to be present moment so I can savor the moment, so I can savor life. The muchness of life narrows down to that center point. And for me, I realize that's the place where I'm most effective. That's the place where I can be the most loving and caring, where I can be the best partner, where I can be the best minister, where I can be the most effective, whatever it is in that moment. Because that's the best. We want to offer the best to the world. That's what we're called to do. And that's why these relationships, our relationship with self is so important. And it's not selfish to do that. What I find is selfish for me to be out on one end of the pole or the other pole, spinning in my story, in my imagination, making stuff up that has nothing to do with this moment. Because I think each moment is precious. I think each opportunity to live life fully is our opportunity. And to be present with one another. This being human is a guest house. Every morning a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. So this week, as it shows up for you, say, come on in, come on in. What's this? What's this? That's not true. That might be a lie for me right now, but that's not my truth, not anymore. And to, to go through it, can I, will I, when? Even if there are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. They may be clearing you out for some new delight. I'm in for, I'm in for the delight. Anybody in for the delight? Yeah. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from above. And so it is. There she is. So I just want to mention again, I'll be at the back for anybody who wants to sign up for the vocal workshop that Anna and Beaumont and I are doing. We're doing four weeks. It's a series, and it's starting May 30th, so if you want to know more about that, you can ask me after service. So when I was thinking about what song I wanted to sing for today, uh, I just thought about how singing here has really, really spoiled me for any other venue I sing at. Um, I don't know if you remember when Holly was introducing the Mamesa Choir and how they sang here, and then they, it was the high point of Edmonton. They sang at other venues, and they'd say to her, they don't love me. And <laughs> I know that feeling. I know that feeling of singing other places and, and just not getting the warmth and response. So I want to sing a song. I, think, I believe it's the first song I ever sang here nine years ago when I started soloing at the center, and it's To You. It's a medley. You can... I don't know what key that is. Sorry. Thank you. Do you really want to take my vocal workshop now? (laughs) That is the advertising. That is what you will learn. Just spot on. You can tell everybody This is your song Might be quite simple, but Now that it's done you don't mind, I hope you don't mind that I put down in words how wonderful life is while you're in the world. 
Still good nine years later. All right, Robin. Way to go. As our ushers come forward, you know, I think this is the perfect affirmation for us. It's right on our envelopes. 
So let's allow this to be our blessing as we give this day. My offering is evidence of my conviction and my commitment to my own spiritual growth. Love consecrates my gift. It goes forth to heal, to bless, and to prosper. It does its good and perfect work and returns to me multiplied abundantly. And so it is. Let's know this together. One life, one power, one infinite divine intelligence. I claim that life as my own in this moment. And so let us move this week with the mindfulness and the awareness and the clarity and the brilliance to understand our opportunity in each moment. Whatever comes up for us, whatever is alive is there to inform us, to instruct us, to inspire us, and to move us forward. And so I know that we have the awareness, the consciousness, the brilliance, and the intelligence to deal with whatever is present. I bless this, I bless you, I bless my own life, the opportunities for learning, for growth, for continued expression of the infinite in and through and as myself. With that said, I give thanks, I release these words in gratitude and appreciation knowing that this week is incredible for each and every one of us in every way, shape and form. For this I give thanks, for this knowing, and invite you to say with me, and so it is. Let's sing.
I found the gift of life. On Tuesday, peace came from above. On Wednesday, I found a little more faith. 